just as excited about this hour uh, because uh, the Reverend Lennox Yearwood joins us live in the studio right now. We'll talk for this hour about bridging beats and ballots. Uh, Reverend Yearwood harnesses the power of hip-hop to mobilize young voices and hopes of reshaping the political landscape. And so we'll talk in this hour about building bridges and empowering communities and fighting for a more equitable America. I'm delighted to have Reverend Lennox Yearwood in studio. My friend and brother, how are you today? Man, I'm doing excellent. So good to see you. It's good to see you again. Let me start with this. Um, you walked in the studio and um, showed me a letter that you sent to the president. That's right. Um, today? Yesterday? Today? Today. Well, went out yesterday. Yeah, went out, yeah, sure. Yesterday, so hit it. That's today. Got it. So I, I want you to share the letter that you and some others sent to the president. And, and I'll tell you why I want you to share it. So when I saw the first paragraph, I just looked at you. Uh, and stared at you because on Friday, um, and this story has become a national story. Uh, this program is heard across the country. On Friday here in Los Angeles, my home station, KBLA Talk 1580 here in L.A., announced a major 12-month, $2 million campaign. Go to any of our platforms, and you can read all about it. It's all over the news. It's in major publications. Uh, but we announced a major uh, climate justice campaign, 12 months long. $2 million and counting because a whole lot of folk have reached out since they heard about what we're doing this mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm. So we have made a commitment this year um, to save the lives of our own people. Uh, we say all the time that if you say you care about the community, then you have to care about climate. That's right. And not enough of us are in this conversation. And so we have at this station in L.A. assigned ourselves to take this issue head on and to see what we can do to, one, increase climate literacy. Mm -hmm. Number two, connect those folks who have been victimized and are being victimized, which means most of us That's right. uh, who've been victimized by these climate catastrophes and maladies, connect them to the resources that they can uh, have access to that will help them navigate mm -hmm. these difficult times that are to come. Number three, we want to make sure that the voices of people of color are in this conversation. That's right. Uh, as they've not been heretofore. And finally, we want to make sure that we showcase persons like you who are already out there doing the righteous work, doing the heavy lifting, expose them to this audience. Because when they see folk that look like them, that's right. they can hear it better, right? So we're doing all of that, and we're doing it in a variety of ways with a massive social media campaign, an outdoor billboard, outdoor media campaign, conversations all year long, community events. It's a very textured, very layered announcement um, that we made on Friday, and I'm just delighted to see the response to that announcement. Uh, Mayor Bass came with us uh, mm -hmm. for the announcement. She spoke there. A lot of other VIPs. We've raised money from public uh, uh, public uh, entities and, and private uh, endowments. Um, got meetings when I get off the air today uh, with more foundations and others who've heard about it and want to be a part of it. So people are taking, uh, taking interest and paying attention to the fact that it is black folk and brown folk and poor folk who are being disproportionately disenfranchised mm -hmm. by these climate maladies. So that's, that's, right. that's what we announced on Friday. So Reverend Lennox walks into the studio and shows me a letter they sent to the president. Uh, and when we come forward, I'm going to let him tell you what their letter is about. And you'll see how God works in mysterious ways and the dots get connected in unique ways I don't even, right. I don't even know right. about. But I want to hear that story when we come forward. And then we'll talk about his work more broadly. You are listening uh, to the Reverend Lennox Yearwood right now on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Sounds, Sounds different. different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. This is Tavis Smiley in conversation with the Reverend Lennox Yearwood. Uh, we're talking in this hour about uh, the magnificent work he's doing to harness the power of hip-hop to mobilize young voices and hopes of uh, 
reshaping the political landscape. We just spent an hour talking to John Nichols about the way the political landscape is being reshaped this year. Donald Trump won big. He crushed last night in Iowa. So for all his drama, he is going to be the presumptive Republican nominee. Uh, Joe Biden's in some trouble. Uh, Trump still facing all these cases. Our friend Cornell West was in this studio yesterday for mm. uh, a conversation, conversation about his presidential campaign. There's Bobby Kennedy out there. So there's a lot of stuff happening. This is going to be an interesting year politically. Uh, who knows how this is all going to shape out. But the word of the day that John Nichols gave us is volatility. There's a lot of volatility in our politics these days. And we'll talk in this hour about the way that young people can help reshape this political landscape in this year and in the months and years to come. But that said, uh, and before we get to all that, uh, I was talking about our climate justice campaign that we announced on Friday. You come in and show me some work that you all are doing reaching out right. to the president. So tell me about that, first of all. Well, man, it's an honor to be here, always with you. Always so good to see you. Likewise, brother. Um, this is critical for the Hip Hop Caucus. We are focused on protecting our communities and our people. And Hip Hop Caucus, as you may or may not know, we turned 20 years. Is it 20 now? It is 20. Oh, Jesus. Hip Hop Caucus turns 20. <laughs> it's a blessing, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. No, it is. It's 20. For Hip Hop, it's Hip Hop. For Hip Hop, turns 50. 50, yes. One uh, this year. So, you know, it's just, a, it's just an amazing moment. But to your point, for young people, and particularly in the culture, the climate crisis is critical. They see this as a two-edged sword. They see it as climate justice is racial justice, mm -hmm. and racial justice is climate justice. Mm -hmm. And so the one thing that we want more than anything is to solve the climate crisis. We know that particularly black, brown, and indigenous people are the ones who are most impacted by the climate crisis. We're the ones who are most hurt first and worst by the climate crisis. So we want to solve that. But right now, there are some rules that are going forth. And we commend um, Administrator Regan, who has been just upholding and trying to be steadfast in what he's been trying to do. The, the EPA administrator. The EPA administrator. Mm -hmm. sure. But right now, there are some rules that are going forth. And some EJ groups came together because the one thing that we cannot have we cannot have folks trying to solve the climate crisis on the backs of black and brown and indigenous people. We know that 68% of black people live within 30 miles of a coal-fired power plant. We know that creates those communities to have asthma, mm -hmm. emphysema, and cancer. We know that creates sacrifice zones, even right here in Los Angeles. We know that creates sacrifice zones where those zip codes and the property value and those communities are literally dying. To, to, your, to your point, I was just reading some stats the other day. One, and pardon, pardon the interruption. No, 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 no. One out of three kids, black kids, one out of three black kids in Harlem mm. has asthma. Say that again. One out of three black kids in Harlem has asthma for the reasons you just laid out, the proximity to all these plants and, this, and to this environmental degradation. But to have one out of three black babies with asthma in Harlem is just it's it's damning. No. And, and, and Tavis, let me say this. And to your point, I, I remember there was and this is not going off the point. This is that the point. There was a mother who didn't know that she was living so close to a coal fire power plant. And this mother who had a number of children and she had one daughter um, in her in her family who was one, you know, we all got that one child who take mm -hmm. care of all the other children. Mm -hmm. She was there doing that and that child had asthma. And so this mother was making a decision, do I buy the inhaler or do I buy the groceries? Like mm -hmm. this, these are the decisions that our, our community is making. So she's playing Russian roulette. Mm -hmm. She comes home 
and she finds her daughter on her carpet, literally there holding an inhaler, an old inhaler with nothing in it because of the asthma attack that she had, and she died there. The entire time that... The, the, the baby died. The baby died. Oh, Lord. And the entire time when his funeral was now going on for this child, that mama was trying to get into that casket because her baby died from the asthma. So these are the pollution. We're talking about real things. We're talking about folks whose business plan means a death sentence for our communities. Mm -hmm. And so this letter that we put out, and I want to see the groups on the letter. The groups sure. on the letter were the Hip Hop Caucus was one, mm -hmm. um, Deep South Center, which mm -hmm. is based from Dr. Beverly Wright, mm -hmm. the Bullard Center out of Texas Southern with Dr. Bob Bullard. Bob Bullard, by the way, is the father Most definitely. of environmental justice. He's regarded as the father. He's been at it for decades. He's the father of environmental justice. And he has written... Uh, goo guys, they would say, yeah. of books. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he wrote um, 20 years ago. I mentioned this the other day. I'll say it again. People ask about it. So the book I wrote, The, the Covenant with Black America, mm -hmm. which is number one of the New York Times bestseller. It's the first black book to ever do that by a black publisher. It's the 20th anniversary of the Covenant book. And so we literally are putting out uh, later this year the 20th anniversary edition wow. of the Covenant. Uh, Bob Bullard wrote the essay about mm. environmental justice in the original book 20 years ago. So I called him some months ago to say, Dr. Bullard, believe it or not, it's been 20 years, brother. We're doing the 20th anniversary book. Will you write a new essay for the 20th anniversary edition? Uh, he literally just turned that into me. I, I got it yesterday. Wow. Uh, and so we are uh, preparing to publish out, publish a 20th anniversary edition of this book. But you can't talk about environmental justice without giving Bob Bullard his, no, his no, respect. No, 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 no. And I want to just mention that because he's a, he's a bad man. He is what we would call the godfather That's right. of environmental justice. That's right. And Peggy Shepard from WEAC up in, up in New York and Harlem. Mm -hmm. the, and these, I would say, are the, the preeminent organizations around climate justice. We came together and we, we signed this letter, sent to the president today. Um, asking him to do what? We're telling him to do what? <laughs> well, the, the bottom line that we asked him to do is to ensure that, that we look at these, these power plant rules mm -hmm. and that they are not harming black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. That these rules, that whatever it may be, particularly when it comes to carbon capture mm -hmm. or any other mechanism, mm -hmm. that they do not allow for the, the fossil fuel industry to put particularly black, brown, indigenous communities in harm's way. Yeah. I, I love, it, it, sad though it may be, and you'll take my point, uh, Reverend Yearwood, um, I love the story that you told uh, about the baby um, and the inhaler. That's right. And I love that story because I am always trying to find, and you'll resonate with this, it, it's always a challenge to find ways to discuss subjects that are not sexy. Mm. You feel me on this? Uh, it's 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 really life or death for our people. It is. There's no question about it. But it's a bore. Let me just call it what it is. It's a boring subject to a lot of people. They don't mm. want to hear about climate justice, climate resiliency, climate equity, by any other name. Climate adaptation. It, kind of adaptation. By any other name, it's boring to them. But I know, because I've seen the data, as have you, how our communities are suffering. That's right. And I've said many times, if a black-owned talk radio station is about anything, it ought to be about saving the lives of its people. That's right. Whatever that means. And so I say all the time that we are a talk station, but we do more than just talk. And that's true for many of the stations on which this program is heard right now all across the country. They're talk stations and they're black, but they do more than just talk. They're in the work serving and servicing their communities. And so when I, you know, re was wrestling with the idea of whether or not I really thought we could pull this off. And could I really raise the money to do a real, a, a really robust campaign. 
Would people understand it? Would they come with me? I had to really wrestle with myself and pray with myself about this because I know that it's not an easy lift. I look mm-hmm. at what I look at what Bob Bullard's done for all these years. It ain't easy, but it absolutely is a life, a matter, an issue rather of life and death. I say all that to ask um, how you have learned, how you are learning how to frame this conversation in a way that resonates with our people, that yeah. gets the attention of our people. And if that story don't do it, I don't know what does. Yeah. That story of that baby dying uh, because she had to make a choice between groceries and an inhaler, and the baby is dead on the floor because with, with an old inhaler that had nothing left in it, That's right. that just, that just, that don't just put at your heartstrings. That, 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 if you ain't careful, you'll fall into a state of melancholia yeah. trying to wrestle with that thing that a baby died because he didn't have an inhaler. Yeah. No, no, no. And and the thing about that, which is so critical, is that that they're that our communities are dying, not even knowing that they're close to this destruction. It's a silent killer, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. that more of us are di- honestly, more of us are dying from pollution than we are from police brutality. Mm. And while police brutality is 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 devastating for what it means to our community, the fact that our babies like that little girl who was literally was and was such was a, was an amazing beacon the one holding the other children together the one helping the mama change the diaper the one getting home from school early to to make sure other ones did their homework that's the one mm. who literally is lying and then the way that you died choking in your living room so no that's and that's all over like that is in Detroit that's in Newark that's in Baltimore that's in Compton that's all over those are our community, and then on top of that, because of the climate crisis, you now have a situation where our mothers, our grandmothers, are who are in Chicago or in Phoenix. It was so hot last year. Mm-hmm. They are. We have stories of our seniors, and I'm so sorry to say this for those who are listening, but it's just real to say this. But we had our seniors in Phoenix and in Chicago who were cooked to death because it was so hot. It was literally a hundred degrees for an entire month in Phoenix. And so you have folks who didn't have who couldn't afford it, who couldn't afford a utility bill. And then they're in these homes. And so this is why the climate so nothing against polar bears. Listen, I ain't got I ain't never seen a polar bear. I saw them in the zoo. I'm just saying I got nothing against the polar bears. But what I'm saying here is that this issue, particularly post Hurricane Katrina, which which will be 19 years, so right in line with the covenant. But this issue for us is our issue. And it's our issue not only from the standpoint of the climate crisis, from the heat waves, from the wildfires, from the droughts, not just from that issue, but this issue is our issue because of the fact that when folks are burning the fossil fuels, which we have to transition from, which in itself is a billion-dollar boondoggle, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. I just need our folks to be also in line to get the resources in the transition, but not just saying that, the fact that our people are then looked at from boardrooms, and I'm saying this, I know that folks are going to some of these boardrooms, drinking their latte, listening to hip hop, mm. going there, doing their thing, and are putting communities from in Louisiana and Port Arthur, Texas, putting forth petrochemicals and other things that are are killing our community. You know, it, it occurred to me while you were talking, and this is uh, this is nothing new for for black people. But my mind immediately went to a commercial that I see all the time. Um, I shouldn't say all the time. I don't get a chance to watch much television. But when I'm up late, if I'm working late or can't sleep because I got too much on my mind, I turn on television and I see these. There are two or three commercials that jump out at me that I see all the time. You mentioned the polar bears. Mm 
and there's some organization that runs these commercials all the time. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I know you're talking about, about. About the polar bears. And we got to save the polar bears. The ice caps are melting. That's legitimate. It's as real as rain. That's part of the crisis. It's part of the crisis. But they will spend money to run commercials about saving the polar bears. That's right. There's another commercial I see them run all the time about saving the elephants. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm going with this already, don't you? No, I'm very clear. They will save the polar bears. They will save the elephants. But I ain't seen one commercial yet about the impact that environmental racism has on communities of color. I ain't seen no commercial running you know, all night long, all day long, about what's happening in, in Chicago and Detroit and Harlem. I ain't seen no commercials that really points out the ways in which, to your point, black people are being... Uh, being murdered, uh, being killed more by pollution than by police. I haven't seen those commercials. So here again, it's up to us to save us. But I, I've never seen commercials about that. But I've seen them about polar bears. I've seen them about elephants. Here again, if we don't take ownership of this issue, then we're the ones um, in, in, in part to blame for not taking stock of our own situation and seeing what we can at least attempt to do about that, if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. But let's even go a little further than take that. It, take it further. Because I want to say that, you know, this is, you mentioned you have an amazing campaign that's coming up. And I know Hip Hop Caucus will be there to support you. We appreciate that. Um, in, in that road to fight for for climate justice. But one of the things we looked at, the 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 new school in New York did a study and it looked at twelve of the largest environmental foundations. And in that, the those twelve foundations gave out over one billion dollars for advocacy in one year. That was just their twelve foundations went out in one, one year. One year. A billion dollars. A billion dollars. That's, right. that was the average. Mm-hmm. And so in that only one point three percent of that one billion dollars went to black, brown, and indigenous communities. So what I'm saying here is that if you have over almost 98% going to predominantly white-led organizations to push forth narratives about polar bears, which again, if there's a polar bear listening right now, we ain't got nothing against no polar bear. We just want to be very clear. We ain't got no beef with the polar bear or elephants. We ain't. We, we want y'all to be around as well. If the, pol- but we, if, if but the we, polar bears are but, I got but, you. But, yeah. but our mission here is to make sure that black folk, brown folk, and indigenous folks yeah. have clean hair and clean water. That's what we got. So our babies are not struggling to breathe with, 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 with inhaled that they should be able to have mm-hmm. through health care. So what I'm saying here is that that's a problem. And then there was an article by The Guardian that went out and the article, article from The Guardian went out and said that, and this is real, we're going to have this conversation, that there were civil rights leaders who took money from the philosophy industry in a way um, that, that they were being almost paid off. And there is a need within our community, mm-hmm. within the Congressional Black Caucus and other groups, to have this conversation, to not let groups who are the, the NRDCs or the Sierra Club, nothing against the LCVs or whatever they may be, nothing against them, but we must save us. Mm-hmm. So this is we need to have that conversation. And having folks whose business plan is to hurt us, give us 10000 or 20000 is to pay for our dinner, that just can't cut it. So so we just, I'm just saying, we're not going to look back. We're going to look forward. I'm not worried about, listen, I understand that I want to hold these foundations for equity so they, they can give us the resources so they can start with us right now, give us real money to help save our community. No, um, that, that stat um, is, uh, again, as real as rain, that they send, a, send out a billion dollars in a year. Um, and scarce, 
scarcely give anything. 1.3%. Scarcely give anything to the institutions that are black and brown who are on that's the front right. lines like us and like you that's trying right. to do this work. Uh, that's an indictment to be sure. Uh, but then we'll talk about this when we come forward. This idea, this reality, in fact, that too many of our organizations are taking this money that's right. to pay for their dinners. That's right. And at the same time, these people are killing our people. That's right. It's a scary conversation. It's a real conversation. We'll have more when we come forward. I guess is the Reverend Lennox Yearwood you're listening to right now, and I'm glad about it. I'm Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory, expand of, ideas? Your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. More of Reverend Lennox Yearwood coming your way right now to continue our conversation about um, the power of hip-hop to mobilize young voices in hopes of reshaping this political landscape. We've been talking, uh, we jumped into a deep conversation, I'm glad we did, uh, about climate justice and the impact it's having on our community uh, and why we have to be stewards of our own future. Uh, And uh, the Calvary ain't coming. Yeah. The, the The climate Calvary ain't coming. And so we got to do it for ourselves. And uh, when you hear stories like this precious uh, little girl who died because she didn't have an inhaler, uh, mama couldn't afford an inhaler and groceries. This is what we're up against That's in right. our community. Um, uh, poverty is always, um, you know, at the epicenter of all these maladies that uh, seem to visit us time and time again. Um, so let me ask you a couple questions right quick. One, how is it or why is it, maybe both, that this issue as you see it, does in fact resonate with a younger generation? I mean, I think for the obvious reasons is that for them, they realize that the climate crisis will impact them. If it's impacting them now Mm -hmm. in in 2024, then what happens for them um, at 2104? Right, mm-hmm. you know, in in eighty years, a lot of the young people who are five, the babies, so to speak, five and six, will be around, hopefully. But for them, you know, what will be around, you know, and and that's the key thing here is that they know if we're already dealing with droughts and wildfires, and we're dealing with, you know, you know, category five storms that just become come overnight, mm-hmm. that for their generation, what does this look like? 10, 20, 30 years from now. And so they're little, and in many cases, they are now suing. We're seeing that. Mm-hmm. Young people are now suing their state governments. They're I suing yeah. their federal governments. They're now suing for literally life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. They're mm-hmm. saying that if you don't transition from fossil fuel to clean energy, you're taking away our life for when we get older. So young folks now are fighting. And so now I think that, particularly for the younger millennials and definitely Gen Z, this is, for many of them, this is literally a matter of life or death, and I'm, they're fighting. I'm, I'm following these lawsuits because this, this is a whole other territory. Yeah. It's really, it's, uh, you said earlier during the break that creation is the new form of demonstration. It is. I love it that is. line. Creation is the new form of demonstration. Uh, and these kids are getting really creative because these lawsuits are pretty unique. I'm following them uh, here and there to see how these things turn out because that could be a game changer. If courts start to rule in favor of these babies who are filing lawsuits because their life, their pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness is being denied because of what these adults, these old heads are doing to the environment, uh, ensuring that they won't be around much longer, uh, them or the polar bears, right? So these cases are really unique. I I don't know what's going to happen with them. Would you you, want to venture a guess as to how the courts will look at these kinds of cases? You know, I think this is the thing. I think that the fossil fuel industry is definitely doing all they can to put money not only in 
politicians' hands, yeah. but as we see now, even from the Supreme Court, in in judges' hands as well. Right. And so I think that it, this is a moral argument, and we're we're hopeful that this argument is done correctly. But it's one that you just don't know, unfortunately. But I will say this to your mm-hmm. point of demonstration. One thing that is true for this generation of young people, and the one thing people ask me all the time, hip hop caucus, they say, well, young people, they're getting involved. And I will say this young people to me today, they may not act revolutionary, as people may say back in the 60s, mm-hmm. but the one thing about young people today, they are without a doubt solutionary. Yeah. And in that aspect, they will look at a problem and they will say that, how do we fix this? Mm-hmm. And they will figure out, can we use demonstration? Can we use legislation? Can we use litigation? And they will use whatever they have in their toolbox mm-hmm. to go out there and try to make change happen. That's one thing I think is very exciting about them. And then, it's, again, they're also using creativity and creation. I think yeah. that for us, Hip Hop Caucus, I mean, in, in the words of uh, Tony K. Mambara, you know, the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Mm. And so I think that mm. I'm excited right now to see those who are in the creative mm. space, um, particularly for young people coming together and fighting for humanity. I love that line. The role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Yes, indeed. Um Take me back 20 years ago. Uh, I want to just take a moment to celebrate the Hip Hop Caucus. Yeah. Uh, I've known you and we've been in the spaces and out of spaces for years over the course of my career. Uh, hard to believe in 20 years, though, since the Hip Hop Caucus came to be. Take me back and tell me how and why it came to be. Well, you know, back in those days, so folks who don't know, I used to work for uh, work with um, with Russell mm-hmm. uh, at the Hip Hop Summit Action mm-hmm. Network. Mm-hmm. Um, they were with Dr. Ben Chavis, and then I was the uh, co-creator with the Vote or Die campaign and Citizen Change. And so there was a lot of talk at that time of how do we take this, the hip-hop conversation further. Around 2003, we were just, you know, just, we were working with the Rockefeller drug laws and other aspects. And so we were saying, how can we make this move f- further? And we were like, well, let's, we got to go to D.C. And it's ironic because we were like, well, we love the <laughs> Congressional Black Caucus. So that makes sense. And we're going to be mm-hmm. there, the hip-hop caucus. But what's crazy then is that when we went there, and thank goodness now for people like, you know, Maxine Waters and many others. But at that time, um, the folks who were running the, the Congressional Black Caucus wouldn't let us have the original hip-hop caucus mm-hmm. at the Congressional Black Caucus. So we had to go down to Howard. No, that's my alma mater, so I don't mind going down to Howard. Mm-hmm. So we went down to Howard to have the first hip-hop caucus. Um, and we didn't know if it was going to be okay, but 900 people showed up um, on September 11, 2004. 900 people showed up. Yeah. That's a, that's a turnout. That's a turnout. <laughs> and that was the beginning. And yeah. then and then from there, literally began to go, and then we started to work. At that time, it was crazy. Supreme Court, John Roberts was up for the Supreme Court. We were mm-hmm. trying to educate people on that issue. And then Hurricane Katrina hit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. I think, you know, as an organization, when people say, well, how y'all made it 20 years? I think, and this is the hard part, when Katrina hit New Orleans, and when those 1,800 people at that time died from Hurricane Katrina, and then we know many have died because of heart heartbreaks mm-hmm. and many other things since mm-hmm. then. But I, I remember we didn't know if the caucus was going to make it, and we got involved. And we got involved. We says people were sent on one-way bus tickets out of New Orleans, and we were going to be there to fight for them to come back. Because we had to put together this structure. We are going to fight for them. But I really believe and this may folks may hear this i believe it was it was 
almost in the depths of our people that became the DNA of the Hip Hop Caucus. Mm. If the Hip Hop Caucus was just based on getting donations and money from foundations or being there, then it would be have this kind of, it would have this mentality of what we got to just do to just preserve ourselves. But it was really in that moment when mm. our people literally drowned um, and were swept away. It was in that moment when I think that the caucus was was really born. And I think that that's what has preserved us because I think since that time, even for me, my leadership, it was how do we ensure that we have, it's not just, you know, Rev, we have this one leader who's there. As a matter of fact, it was how do we ensure that we get away from patriarchy? How do we ensure that we have, you know, particularly black women in leadership? How do we have black, uh, you know, how do we make sure we have both from black and queer and young people and how do we have all kinds of people leading in a movement and i think that's what made hip-hop caucus so and then also we were good with our books i mean yeah. to be honest i think people would ask us we, we were good with our resources so i think that that's why we're here 20 years when you put the people first oh, yeah. that's what keeps you yeah i was just saying on this program the other day and i i don't um, i'm not one that believes in holding grudges but i do believe in telling the truth mm. Uh, and I was discussing this the other day that every time I think about George W. Bush and the mm -hmm. way he sort of reinvented himself, yep. and his approval ratings are now in the 60s. Mm. Probably that's because up against Donald Trump, everybody looks like a saint no, well. next to Donald Trump. But George Bush, George W. Bush, left black folk on rooftops to die. That's right. In Katrina. Yeah. To die. And flew over. And flew over. And Condoleezza Rice was shopping for shoes at Saks Fifth Avenue yeah. at the time and went to a Broadway play that night. And these Negroes were dying on rooftops in New Orleans. I never, ever have forgotten that. And I won't let anybody who ever listens to me or sees me forget nah. that. Um, black folk have short memories sometimes. Sometimes we got really, really short memories. And I'm not trying to demonize anybody. I'm nah. just saying that's what went down. And, and That's the, real. The further we get away from it. Um, it's like January 6th. People start spinning stories now. No, that ain't what happened on January 6th. We saw what happened on January yeah. 6th, and people started lying about stuff the farther and farther you get away from it. But George Bush left our brothers and sisters and babies to die on those rooftops in New Orleans, and eventually, eventually did a flyover. That, was, yeah. that wasn't right away. That happened a couple of days later, eventually. But I digress. No, no, no. Yeah. You, first of all, you, you don't digress. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. I'm yeah. digressing now because of time. <laughs> yeah. But when we come back, I'll let you undigress <laughs> yeah. and make your point. His name is uh, Reverend Lennox Yearwood. He's on Tavis Smile. From the Merc Park with love, love, this love. is Tavis Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Uh, Reverend Lennox, you would stop me from digressing. I was digressing on it. He said, no, don't digress. So I'm going to let you undigress and make your point. <laughs> I was just going to say that, you know, at that same time, uh, Al Gore put out his movie, Inconvenient Truth. That's right. And the movie, Inconvenient Truth, was based around the climate crisis. But what we have found out, that the Inconvenient Truth is not only the climate crisis, but it's also white supremacy. Mm. And so I just want to just make sure people understand that those things are interlinked. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of interlinked, um, I know you have a doc. You guys, you guys, yeah, no yeah, with, no, uh, with, well, with Wanda Sykes, I think. Yeah, we do. We have a, we have a, we have a documentary coming out called Underwater Projects. It's going to be hitting film festivals pretty soon. But I'm so excited. We have Wanda Sykes starring in that, mm -hmm. and it's, very, it's, it's funny. We're using obviously Wanda's very funny, mm -hmm. but it's also about the climate crisis, and it talks about how public housing around the country is on the front line of the climate crisis. 
In what way? Well, because they because in cities like Norfolk, where this is based, mm-hmm. Norfolk, and a lot of times when they put up when they put up the barriers to stop their flooding, they stop building the barriers where it can impact public housing. Mm-hmm. So Norfolk is very much like New Orleans, mm-hmm. in which they are allowing the levees to be either be not to be strong or to be non-existent mm-hmm. in those communities that actually protect poor communities. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't even know that. So that's why the downtown areas don't flood, but then other areas in other communities that are in these communities flood. Yeah. I assume, uh, and we'll come to this in our remaining moments with uh, Reverend Lennox Yearwood, we'll close our conversation this way. I assume uh, that the hip-hop, ca- the hip-hop caucus, that is, is going to be very, very involved um, this election season. Uh, we are headed toward November. Uh, we saw yesterday the first uh, uh, yeah. uh, first round, as it were, in this uh, voting. The Iowa caucuses were yesterday. Donald Trump didn't just win. As I said earlier, he crushed it. That gives you a good sense that he will be uh, the presumptive uh, nominee for his party. Uh, but the year is uh, the election season is off, um, off and running in earnest. And I want to hear more about what the Hip Hop Caucus plans to do politically this year in our remaining moments with Reverend Lennox Yearwood. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically blind. You're tapping into Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Reverend Lennox Yearwood. Be uh, before we uh, wrap this conversation with him in this hour. Just a reminder: in our next hour, Bosco. Quante Bosco Adams live in studio with an amazing story you may uh, not have heard, uh, but you have to hear. <laughs> Brother got arrested for attempting to buy marijuana. Uh, down in Compton uh, years ago, and for that, for uh, for attempting to purchase, they gave that Negro 35 years in federal prison as mm. a kid, and he went on <laughs> ingeniously to break out of prison. He mm. studied. He studied everything. He'll tell the story, and that Negro broke out. Uh, they eventually caught him, brought him back, uh, but then he fired his legal team, started learning the law, became his own lawyer, represented himself in federal court. Mm. And got himself out of prison permanently. Uh, found a loophole in the law mm. and got himself out of prison. And he has a film about uh, uh, his true story. And he'll tell you more about it uh, in our third hour. In the last few minutes, I have here with Reverend Yearwood, though. Um, it's an election year, as if you didn't know. <laughs> it has been for the last three years, right? These campaigns are way too long, man. Some countries do it in 30 days, and we ought to do it uh, in a much shorter frame. This three-year period of running for president just wears me out. That's right. I, having said that, how you guys are going to be involved this year, Hip Hop Caucus? Well, I want to take what you just said. I think that for young people listening, we democracy is on the line. We need you to have a Bosco. We need you to have a. We need you to have <laughs> a, break, a breakout moment. A breakout. A Fanlu Hamer. Uh, Ella Baker. We yeah. we we need that genius outside the academy to be able to change a hip hop caucus. We're going to be doing our respect my vote campaign again, which really holds on our on actually on returning citizens. We actually work on helping folks who are ex felons or returning citizens to get right back to vote so this is that's our campaign as well as getting folks in communities but we're going to be honing on that as well as working in key states because everything we talked about in regards to climate clean air clean water everything we talked about was on the line yeah. uh hip-hop caucus is more than just black folk because uh, as you know most of hip-hop these days is bought by folk who ain't even black so it ain't a, it ain't a black thing um but that said it is our creation 
it's our, it, culture, it, it's our yeah. culture. It's our invention. Um, how important, with all the stuff that we could talk about for hours, how important do you see the black vote being this time around? We know we saved Joe Biden the first time around. He wouldn't yeah. be the, he wouldn't have been the nominee, much less president, if black folk and black women in particular had not saved him in South Carolina. I see. I, I discussed this the other day. That here, black folk are being asked once again to save this democracy. Once again, they come into us and saying, save us from authoritarianism, save us from anarchy. Always coming to Negroes asking us to save the democracy. How important do you think our vote is going to be this time around? It's everything. And I'll say this, the reality is this, either you shape policy or policy shapes you. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reality is that we as a people have to shape policy. Mm -hmm. And no matter who's in that position, um, we have to push, I start off this, this whole conversation started off with us talking about the letter we sent mm -hmm. to the president, shaping policy. And I think that's what is still needed. And we can't get caught up in all the drama or or the uh, or the theater because at the end of the day, as we, as we said in this conversation, the one thing that we can't bring back is that little girl who died in her living room floor. We can't bring her back. And that was all policy. We can't bring it back, but we can pay it forward. We can pay it forward. So make sure you check out Respect My Vote dot com go to hiphopcaucus.org and let's make sure that those we can't bring back from katrina that little girl whoever that we make sure and fight for the next generation all we can respectmyvote.com hiphopcaucus.org all the information you need to know about what uh, reverend lennox yearwood and company are up to man i celebrate you i'm honored that you came to oh, see me in studio you. 20 years of doing the lord's work doing thank righteous you, work the heavy lifting loving and serving our people i say all the time that my definition of leadership is very simple leadership means this to me you can't lead our folk if you don't love our folks right and you can't save our folk if you don't serve our folk so the leadership is about loving and serving black people and by that definition nobody does it better than you my friend thank you so i'm honored much. to have you on this program thank you i'll see you i'll see you throughout the year you will on this climate justice campaign. all power to the people all right there you go